0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? Just threw my communion elements on the ground. Excuse me for just a moment. Um, so, so glad to see all of you this morning, so excited to be in the house today, um, looking forward to today's message and sharing um, with you what God has placed on my heart. Today we're wrapping up a series um, that we've been in for, this is now week number six called Not Feeling It where we've spent the last several weeks talking about how we handle those seasons in our life, those situations that we come up against from time to time where it seems like God is nowhere to be found. And we've been talking about the reasons behind those seasons, what our response to those kinds of situations should be, and what the Bible has to say about it all. All the way back six weeks ago in part one, we took a look at Psalm 88 and talked about how even when we don't feel God, we can remain faithful because God is faithful. In part two, we looked at John 6 and we talked about how following Jesus may not always be easy, but it is and will be always worth it. Part three, we looked at Romans chapter seven. We talked about three relationships that we need to lean into in the midst of a not feeling at season, our relationship with the word of God, our relationship with the spirit of God, and our relationship with the people of God. In part four, we were in Philippians chapter three, and we talked about how no matter what life brings our way, we just have to keep Swimming. And then last week we took a look at Psalm 24 and we talked about how when we open ourselves to generosity and servanthood, those, those serve as the keys that unlock the door to us being able to access God's presence in our lives and if you missed any of those messages, I would highly encourage you to go back um, on our podcast or on our YouTube channel and check those out um, and we're closing out this series today and we're going to be in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So Romans uh, chapter 8. So if you got your Bible uh, or a smart device, you can turn with me or swipe with me and we'll land there Romans chapter 8 um, beginning with verse 28 in just a moment. Um, I can remember as a kid uh, going to the grocery store with my mom and when we would stand in the checkout line, um, I would be fascinated by all of the magazines on the rack there in, in the checkout line. And the things that caught my attention um, most were probably the tabloids. Especially maybe you know, the National Enquirer, because even at the age of seven or eight years old, inquiring minds still wanted to know. Who knows what I'm talking about this morning? Um, I would see those tabloids and, and um, you know, I was, I was old enough to where I, I'd started being able to read. And I would look at them and I would look at the pictures and I would read the headlines. And even, you know, as a young, as a young boy, I would look and I would go, is this real? You know like is is that did she really give birth to an alien baby you know it's like those are the things that I was thinking the the reports the the headlines on you know all of those tabloid kind of papers. Um, they seemed crazy and outlandish. And even as a young person, um, and still today when, when I see those, you know, in the grocery store from time to time, it, it just doesn't make sense. And it, and it caused my mind to wonder, too, a couple different places. Number one is, why is this happening? If, if this story, if this is, if this is real, why, why is it happening? And then, how is it even possible? Why is it happening and how is it even possible? And you know what? Sometimes I hear reports about the things that fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are walking through, things that they are experiencing in their own lives, things that they are dealing with, stuff that's going on at other churches, interactions that people are having with others. And I think, how is this even possible? Is this real Life Like this doesn't make any sense. Other times I, I consider the things that, that I'm experiencing in my own life and in my own family as the pastor of a church. Someone who has supposedly given up everything or is at least, you know, attempting to give up everything for the call of Christ. And I wonder why is this happening because at the end of the day when it comes to our feudal minds and our abilities to process and kind of wrap our heads around the things that we experience in this life it just doesn't seem to make sense it doesn't seem to make sense and then Paul comes on the scene and 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 he writes in in Romans chapter 8 one of the most incredible chapters in all of the scriptures but but when, when we jump down um, to, to verse 28, and we're going to start there, Paul writes this. He says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And so Paul says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And sometimes I read that and I get really happy and excited. Other times I read that and I'm like, easy for you to say, Paul. <laughs> what do you mean, God causes everything? To work together for good, Paul. You don't know what I'm dealing with right now. You don't know the experiences that I'm having. You don't know the things that I am struggling with, and and so I, I try to find the loophole and I go back to the original language and and I look at at that word everything in the Greek and it means everything. And I'm like, dang it! <laughs> Every time, it always gets me. And I'm like, really? everything, every experience, all the difficulty, all the pain, all the hurt, all the doubt, the fear, the frustration, everything, God, you're working this out for good. God, you're really for me in the midst of this. And, and, and what, what Paul is saying here, what he's, what he's trying to point out to us is that what God has done for us in the past through his son and what he is doing for us in the present through his spirit should give us confidence what he is going to continue to do for us in the future and and when when paul says when, when Paul says, "If God is for us, then who can be against us?" he's not asking this question like he's unsure he's asking it rhetorically and and I don't know about you though but but Sometimes when I, when I read this passage and, and I, I hear what Paul is saying, I think, you know, God may be for me, but it sure does seem like there's an awful lot of stuff that's going against me. And, and then my man, Warren Wearsby, you guys know, I, I, like, I love to, to read his commentaries and get his insights on the scripture. And he's always challenging me. He, he said this, He said, how can Christians ever be discouraged and frustrated when we already share the glory of God? Our suffering today only guarantees that much more glory when Jesus Christ returns. And and while that's true, the reason why we can question, the reason why we can doubt, the reason why we can be discouraged and frustrated is because many of us in the midst of those situations, we're just not sure. We're just not sure. In their 1967 hit, the Young Rascals sang in a song called, How Can I Be Sure? He said, how can I be sure in a world that's constantly changing? How can I be sure where I stand with you? Maybe you're feeling like that this morning. God, how can I be sure that you're for me? when the kids that I've raised up in church have turned their backs on you? God, how can I be sure that you're for me when my spouse has informed me that they would like a divorce? God, how can I be sure that you're for me when losing my loved one hurts so badly? God, how can I be sure that you're for me when the doctor said it's cancer? God, How can I be sure that you're for me when no matter what I do, no matter what I try, I can't seem to shake this addiction? God, how can I be sure that you are for me when darkness is all that I can see around me and it feels like there is no hope or no end in sight? These questions and others like them, they are all valid statements, valid valid questions, and, and something that most, if not all of us in the room, all of us watching online this morning, we've wrestled with at one time or another. How can we be sure that God is for us in the midst of so many things that seem to communicate the contrary? And so in the remainder of this chapter of Romans 8, we're going to take a look at how Paul lays out the rest of his argument, that if God is for us, who can be against us? So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down this morning, we're going to talk about four ways we know that God is for us, four ways we can know that God is for us. Number one, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us. Paul continues in verse 32. He says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Paul is reminding us that, that God in his goodness to us and in, in his, his gratefulness, in his everlasting faithfulness for us, that he gave up his one and only son. And so if he gave us that, won't he give us everything else? In previously in Romans in, in chapter five, verse eight, Paul talks about this this way. He says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, when we had no business even sniffing close to being able to deserve anything remotely close to what God was offering us through the gift of the death, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, that while we were still sinners, we were, we were as far from God as we could ever be. God sent his son. He, he loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us, even when we didn't deserve it. When I read this verse, I think of the movie Jurassic Park or the book Jurassic Park, perhaps if you're like me and you read the books before you watch the movie. There's a character in there, um, one of my favorite characters in the whole series. Um, his name is John Hammond, and uh, he's the one that is ultimately responsible. He is the brainchild behind Jurassic Park, and, and if, if you've seen that first movie, um, you know that when he invites uh, uh, the, the, the group of people first to come and experience the park for the first time, it seems that every turn, every time uh, he flings another door wide open or they go into a new section of the park or whatever, he's always saying, we spared no we spared oh look over there we spared no expense oh look at this right here we spared no expense he says it over and over and over again and when i when i read this verse i think about god for us he spared no expense it was the most extravagant gift that could ever be given he didn't hold anything back for us and so the question is is that if god paid the greatest cost up front will he not pay lesser costs down the line? Like if, if God purchased our life initially through the sacrifice of Jesus, can we not also trust him to take care of our marriage or to take care of our family or to provide for our health or our finances or our job or fill in the blank with that thing or that area in which you're struggling to trust him. If, if God paid the greatest price up front in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, is he not going to take care of everything else in our lives as well? If, if when we didn't know him and we weren't his children, he would go to such great lengths for us that he would spare no expense for us, then why would he not do that now that we do know him And we are his children. When you think about it, Paul's argument's pretty solid here. Of course, God is for us. Because at the end of the day, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And it could just stop right there. But Paul continues. Not only did Jesus die for us, but number two, the second way that we can know that God is for us is because Jesus' death justifies us. Jesus' death justifies us. In verse 33 of our passage in Romans 8, Paul writes, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. He's given us right standing with himself. God himself through Jesus Gave us right standing with himself. It's kind of like going out to eat with a friend who doesn't have their wallet. Or maybe it's like that Applebee's on a date night the bourbon street shake, or bourbon street steak and the Oreo shake, whipped cream on the top two, two straws, one check. Girl, I got you. I got you covered, right? I've got you, I'll take care of the bill. I've, it's okay, I've got it. See, we, what happens is, is when, when we go out on that date or, or when we show up at the restaurant and our buddy doesn't have their wallet and we say, I, it's okay, I've got it. I've got you covered. We pay for what they were unable to pay for. We provide the things that they couldn't. Paul talks about this earlier in uh, Romans 3. Verses 23 through 26, he says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. We didn't have righteousness And there was no way that we could get it. There was no way that we could provide it for ourselves. And Jesus said, that's okay, I got you covered. And he provided righteousness for us through his sacrifice on the cross. Now, now make no mistake, this does not excuse, ignore, or endorse our sin. The penalty for our sins still exists, but Jesus covered us by paying the penalty that you and I deserved. When he went to the cross, he took the penalty and he said, I've got you covered with my blood. And so now when the father looks at us, He no longer sees us in our sin. Instead, he sees us as righteous because we are covered under the blood of the sacrificial lamb of Jesus. Christ we are justified by our faith that when we believe in Jesus we come under that cleansing flow of blood of the sacrificial lamb and we are made right in God's sight he no longer sees us for who we are these sinful depraved human beings he sees us through the lens of his son Jesus Christ and he can't find any wrong in us Four ways we know that God is for us. Number one, Jesus died for us. Number two, Jesus' death justifies us. Number three, Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes for us. And in verse 34, Paul says, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I can remember as a kid, there were two very prominent TV shows that I remember um, always being on television in, in my house when I was little. Um, one of them was the Andy Griffith show because my parents live by the scripture, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the other the other show that was often on as as I was a child um, was Matlock. <laughs> Any Matlock fans in the house? Only like one person. They're like, "You're only forty, Blake. How do you know? How do you know what Matlock is? Like, are you going to the Golden Corral at four o'clock for dinner? Like, that's what you're <laughs> wanting to know right now." And I remember as a little I remember as a little boy like watching. Andy Griffith show reruns in black and white and then seeing Matlock in full color I was a pretty smart kid and one time I asked my dad I was like I mean I was very impressed with the makeup artists of Matlock because I was like how do they make Andy Griffith look so old for this show like we just watched him 30 minutes ago and he was like in his 20s And now he's this old man. Like, what is going on here? For those of you that aren't aware of the greatness of Matlock, um, Matlock was a defense attorney. He was um, in in the southeastern United States. He loved hot dogs. Um, The premise of the whole show is that he would always, at the very, very end, you know, this, this, this crime would happen and, and this case would play out and, and everything. And in the courtroom, he would always find some, some obscure, overlooked piece of evidence that he would bring out at the last minute that would allow for the defendant to be acquitted. He was always genius in the way that he wove it together. And it was the, 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 the confound of the detectives and everything and that they just couldn't see it. And, and at the last minute, he would come through with this evidence. And and that reminds me of of kind of what's going on here with with Jesus. Yes, I just equated Matlock to Jesus. Stay with me. (laughs) 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, Paul writes this. He says, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. It's the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And Later in, in Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, which, even though we're not sure of who the author is, we think this is probably likely Paul, or, or maybe Paul was the one who, who dictated it and someone else wrote it. Therefore, Jesus is able, once and forever to save those who God, uh, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And in the scriptures, Satan, he is called the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of the believers. He is constantly pointing out our sin. He's constantly pointing out, he's reminding us of that test that we cheated on in the third grade. Or that movie we watched in middle school after our parents told us not to. Or that relationship that we were in in college that didn't honor God, or that time we gave the finger to the car that cut us off in traffic, or the time that we yelled at our kids because they were running late for school, or the evil thoughts we thought toward our boss when he asked us to come in and work over the weekend, or whatever, you name it. Satan's constantly reminding us of those things. Hey, do you remember when you did this? Do you remember when you did that? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Do you remember this? And just constantly bringing those things up. And he's even bringing them up to God. Hey, this person over here, did you see what? He's like the biggest tattletale ever. Did you see what they did? Do you remember what they did? And he's never allowing us to live down those things. But Jesus comes in like our defense lawyer. He swoops in like Matlock at the last minute. He says, Your Honor, I object. Because every time Satan points the finger at our sin, Jesus, our defense lawyer, stands up and just points the finger at the cross. And he says, That is the only evidence that is needed. That's it. It doesn't matter what you're bringing up because those things don't exist anymore because when I was nailed to the cross, those things were nailed to the cross with me and they are gone. My my death, my sacrifice, it wiped that away. All the past sins, all the present sins, all the future sins, everything. The cross is the only evidence that is needed. The cross reminds us that God is for us. Number four, in the four things, four ways that we can know that God is for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus' death justifies us. Jesus intercedes for us. And then number four, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. We get to verse 35 through 39 and in Romans 8. <clears throat> And Paul says this, he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say for for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. He says, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death I think there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. I'm, I'm fairly certain that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. It's, it's not perhaps. It's not, it's not maybe there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. No, Paul's words, his attitude, his mindset it is emphatically, I am convinced that the evidence is overwhelming, that, that he, he's considered all the options, he's examined all of the variables, he has heard all of the arguments. Paul has looked at this thing from every side. And he's dug into it and, 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 and Paul, Paul knows what they say, whoever they are. They say that the proof is in the pudding. And when Paul takes a big old taste of that pudding, he says there's only one conclusion that you and I can arrive at. Is that no matter the situation no matter the circumstance, no matter the extremes on the spectrum, there is only one logical conclusion and that is that Jesus just loves us, period. That's it. Yeah, but how can we be sure? How can we be sure? It all comes back to that song that a lot of us learned as a kid in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's all we need right there. Everything we ever needed, we learned as a kid in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so the Bible tells me that Jesus died for me the Bible tells me that, that Jesus death has justified me and made me righteous before the father the the Bible tells me that that Jesus is even as we speak that he's pleading and interceding on our behalf with the father Face it, Jesus loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Not one thing, not one thing. Jesus loves you and there is nothing that you can do about it. In 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, somewhat coincidentally, But later on in the New Testament, John writes, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And here's the truth that I came to tell somebody today. The thing that I hope that you'll take away from all of this is that the circumstances of our situation do not negate the support of our Savior. The circumstances of our situation do not negate the support of our Savior. It is His love that is supporting us. It is His love that is foundational to us. It is His love that we can stand firm upon and that, we can, that, uh, that allows us. His love is what allows us to put one foot in front of the other, that in the midst of a not feeling it season, it is His love that is going to carry us through. That no matter what we are facing today, because of Christ's love for us, we can be convinced. We can be confident in the fact that Jesus cares about us. That Jesus is concerned for us. That Jesus is compassionate toward us. That Jesus is close beside us. That Jesus chose the cross for us. And today, he invites us to his table to be reminded of his great love for us. In just a moment, the band is gonna come, they're gonna lead us in worship and we're gonna participate in communion together. You've probably got a cup that looks something like this in your seat or in one near you. If you wanna go ahead and grab that, take that out. If you're watching with us online today, we'd love for you to participate in this communion with us. You can simply just grab whatever you've got on hand to make do. Partaking the Lord's Supper today, and if you're here this morning, you're watching with us today online, and you've never responded to Christ's love for you, you've never made the official decision to enter into a covenant relationship with Him, so that you can walk in the confidence of His love each and every day, no matter the circumstances that you are experiencing. If you've never done that, but you'd like to right now, I wanna invite you to pray this very simple prayer with me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Can we just pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.